1: Ladies and gentlemen,
2: tonight, the reigning, defending, 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 undisputed,
1: universal, heavyweight
2: champion! Wildcat Radio, 2.0, bear down, you beautiful people. What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green, Keith Redberry, and we're going to start this show off with basketball. Arizona men, they beat ASU like they were supposed to, maybe not like they were supposed to. It was 67-56. It was clunky. It was not the get-right-Arizona-looks-like-Arizona like game. Uh, women's team lost at number two Stanford in a very competitive game. Each of these programs have big games coming up this weekend. But, Brett, we'll start with the men's basketball team. We, we thought they were going to beat ASU, and they did. We hoped they would beat them more convincingly than they did.
1: Yeah, it seems that uh, the the hangover of poor shooting from the UCLA matchup carried through as Arizona shot three of 23 on three-pointers, though Kirk Carissa, uh, you know, did make a three, so that was great.
2: He made two uh, of them.
1: To, yeah, I mean, that is infinitely more than against UCLA. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, 32% overall, 13% from three. At least Arizona made their free throws compared to ASU, who only shot 53% from the free throw line. Um, yeah, a clunky game. You know, we watched it together. I don't think either of us ever really thought it was at risk, you know, even when ASU had a lead for, you know, some some periods of the time. Um, but not the get-right game we wanted to see, but also I don't – it's not anything that necessarily tells me that there's anything too concerning. Now, if, if the poor shooting woes continue through the next rough stretch, uh, with the upcoming games, you know, there's what three games in five days with UCLA, USC and ASU again, up in Tempe, mm-hmm. AKA McHale North, you know, then, then we start to have some questions, but at some point open shots will fall, right? You hope. <laughs> and, and eventually, you, you know, I don't think the first, what, 16 games of Arizona's efficient offense, uh, You know, there's enough sample size to give me confidence that this team is still a good offensive team. Clearly, teams are trying to drag their tempo down and and find ways to try to slow this offense down. But again, it's not like Arizona's not getting good shots. They're just not making them. And and that's the thing. Like This was a game against ASU you
2: can't take much from because Arizona is so much more talented than ASU where on a bad day, Arizona could beat ASU, and we saw that happen at the McHale Center. Arizona did not play well in that game. Christian Coloco played well. That was about it. You know, Tubelas still looked slow. Obalo played well. Yeah, okay, the bigs played well, which makes sense against a small team like ASU. Matherin, his shot wasn't there. Creasy, he made those two threes. He missed six other threes. (laughs) He had one that was like rimmed out. You're like, oh, man, this kid deserves to make one. But... To your point, a lot of people were like, well, has the offense been figured out? Are these teams are playing great defense against Arizona? And, yes, they're not giving up dunks and layups in transition, which certainly helps the Wildcats. But if the defensive game plan is just let them miss open shots, then, yeah, it was effective in that game. Now the question is, can Arizona make those shots? And earlier in the season, they were. They're not a 45% three-point shooting team, but they can hit 35%, not the 13% they made in this game. (laughs) You know, and I don't even remember (laughs) what it was against UCLA, so – to the extent that things should average out, yes, I think Arizona is a much better team than they showed against ASU. I think they're a better team than they showed against UCLA. You know that game they were probably tired. This game against ASU, I don't know. They shouldn't have been as tired. They were at home. Just the shots weren't falling. That happens. But when you have it, you know, two games. It's only two games in a row. <laughs> and one of those games we kind of give them a pass for, but you just can't. You don't want it to become a trend. Right, Like certain things because, yeah, they're missing open shots, but it's like, well, if that's the defense saying we're daring you to shoot that and you can't make it, that's a problem. We've seen that with a lot of the Sean Miller teams in the past. It's like, yeah, they're missing open shots because they're not good shooters. This team, at least early in the season, over the last two months, looked like it had enough good shooters to be effective offensively. I still believe that's the case, but they do need to start showing
1: it again. Well, and the, the funny thing is I feel like it's become such a monkey on their back to hit some of these outside shots that are generally open, decent looks that it's almost taking them, they're they're, they're like, have such a mental focus on getting out of that slump, uh, like Kirk Carisa stopping mid-game to kiss the court after finally making <laughs> one, um, that it's kind of taken them out of the, the, the more Tommy Lloyd free-flowing offense where they can actually get out and run and just you know, stop trying to end the shooting slump and just try to see the ball go through the hoop on something that's not a free throw. And I think that there's still, you know, teams are trying to slow Arizona down, but certainly against the ASU, you know, UCLA, they were tired. And I think that's where we kind of excuse it a little bit. But there were times against ASU where, I don't think Arizona was forcing the issue to try to force the tempo when yeah. there were opportunities to compared to what they have early in the season. Do you think, I think though that could be I kind of the game blocked.
2: plan though against like an ASU who doesn't have this size? We talked about how you know Coloco and Balo were excellent in this game, and if Tabellis is healthy, he probably dominates in that one too. And that's why Arizona went to the line 32 times because <laughs> yeah, that was, it almost seems like that was a game plan to maybe slow. I don't think Arizona wants to slow it down, but to the extent that maybe they were comfortable enough doing it against an ASU, that they can throw it down low, they can get to their free throw, and against a team like that, and again, ASU is not the barometer, I know that, but like, Arizona wants to run, but is there any value in saying, yeah, they can win without
1: having to? Yes and no. Like, There's no reason why you can't build, play your game up-tempo, get a lead, and then start milking the clock and prove that you can beat those teams up down low, or when you can't get out and run, then you follow that game plan. I, I think, to your point, I think there was a few times where it just seemed like Arizona was intent on asserting itself down low and getting shots down low and to some success. Right. But I I don't think that, and I'm guessing Tommy Lloyd would probably not want them to be like, Hey, let's not, you know, let's not stop being us for the sake of following a game plan. The game plan is what you do. Once, once you get into a half court offense, Um, because at the core this team wants to get out and run and you're doing a team of any team, a favor, good or bad. If you're, getting away from what you do the best yeah yeah
2: well either way it wasn't (laughs) it's never it's never bad to beat asu it's never bad to win any game especially in conference but if you were looking at that one as the arizona is going to look like arizona it really didn't happen but at the same time they looked like a version of arizona like the the defense was good but also that even should be good against a team as bereft of talent as the Sun Devils are. And it wasn't if they do, if they win a game like this against UCLA, like any type of win against UCLA on Thursday, but if they were to win a game 67, 56 or in the sixties, then you'd be like, okay, well they can do that against a good team. That is a way to win. But I, I think, I think I agree with you doing it against ASU isn't exactly a sign of, Hey, they can do this when necessary. Like they right. played a bad game and they beat a bad team. Like that's, what does that prove? That they're more talented than a bad team. They could roll the ball out there and just out-talent the Sun Devils. They can't do that against UCLA. <laughs> they can't do that against USC. They can't do that against Oregon. So they do need to play better. I'm confident they
1: can, and I hope they do. Yeah, I mean, you could also look at it this way. Arizona shot three of 23 on threes and 32% overall and still ended up with 67 points, just shy of a nice score. But you know it's it, if 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 they if you revert to the mean they're going to put up enough points and the defense showed out for a, against ASU who's a bad team but I think that defense you know is going to be tested again in the rematch with UCLA because UCLA is a considerably better team especially offensively compel- compared to ASU.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, what do you make of Tubelis? I know Tommy Lake came out on a uh, Wednesday and said that he's still not 100 percent and that he's just happy, you know, they'll take whatever they can get from him, and you're like, a sprained ankle, what are you doing? Or, like, I, I don't imagine the coaching staff and the medical team would let him go out there if there was a risk of making it worse or delaying his improvement, but that just seems weird to me.
1: Well, this is where I think you and I were a little bit uh, disagreeing, Where right? I I was of the mind to sit to Billis against ASU because I don't think you needed him to win that game. Well, I just assumed
2: and he was healthy if he was going to play. Like, that's kind of where I was yeah, at. Yeah,
1: and, and, it, and it seems the... It seems that Tommy Lloyd would confirm that he's not necessarily 100%, and now now you're running into the, the period of which, all right, is this a lingering thing? How much of it is limiting him? And you don't want this to turn into something that drags on for weeks, but now you've got a tough stretch with UCLA and, and USC coming up where hopefully with a few more days rest he can come back and play. But you got, I, I don't know. He's not. He doesn't seem to be moving laterally as well. You know, a lot of times with ankles, straight straight lines, speed is not really impacted. But basketball is really about change of direction and lateral movement, um, and so that concerns me against a team like UCLA that has guys that can that can exploit it more than more than ASU can. You know, it, I it's one of those things where I don't think that if there was a risk of it being a serious long term problem that he'd be playing. But also, I feel like this was a time where the ch- the coach and training staff should have just said, we're going to be safe rather than sorry. sorry. I, and I, I'm, I'm still convinced Dubellis played, largely because his mom made a surprise visit. I,
2: the one thing, when, and when Tommy Wade says he's not 100%, we don't know if that means he's not 100% with the ankle, he's not 100% you know, shaking off the rust, not 100% just getting back with the team after some time off. Like I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because they know a lot more about this injury than I do, and they got a whole medical team that you got to think they're not dumb enough to be like, We need this guy at the risk of the rest of the season to play against ASU on Saturday. Even, like, because his mom was in town. Like, they wouldn't do that. Like, if he had a torn ACL, he's not playing. (laughs) Like, just because his mom's mom's in town. So, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. But certainly, if Arizona's going to reach its potential and be the best version of itself, it involves a healthy Isolus Tumelis. Or tubelus, depending on who your broadcaster is, which...
1: Oh, (laughs) getting... Stop reminding me of that. I mean... (laughs) the fact that he only played 22 minutes probably tells you that it is just as much about, you know, getting him back to hundred percent, um, you know, compared to that, to Ben Mathman playing 36 minutes, Coloca playing 33. I, I think pre injury, he was probably more in that 30 minutes per game. Um, and then that game was a little more, Asu was lingering around, lingering around far longer than they maybe should have. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think how, I think if he is starting against UCLA, uh, that'll tell us a lot. I'm not convinced uh, Tubelas was going to be starting if his mom wasn't there. I think he might have still played, but I'm not sure he would have been starting.
2: Well, I think if he's healthy enough to play, he should start. I don't see any reason to bring him off the bench if he's healthy. Otherwise, it's the prior game. It's like in football when someone's like, "Well, you know, the quarterback, he'll be the backup, but yeah, he's not." It's like, no, if he's your best guy, if he can play, then he needs to play, and he, it's just normal. So I, I don't think with Tubelas, and hopefully with the extra time off too, because they last played on Saturday, and if he played 22 minutes and he was fine and never get, get any worse and he has the rest of the week to kind of get a little better, a little better every day with all that treatment, then hopefully he's closer. So if it does help, you have a guy like Balo coming in and play, giving really good minutes. <laughs> like, looking really, like that guy seems to have taken a monster step. Forward. I know we talked about him last week, but man, like his he's a good free throw shooter. He's a good rebounder. His shot blocking has gotten better. His timing on defense, like he's looking like an impact player on the front court.
1: And his post moves, both he and Coloco, now, you know, they're guys you can run an offense through, which is kind of crazy. I think, you know, Coloco, I think, threw a couple of sweet assists against uh, against ASU. Um, you know, like, Balo's, Balo's development this year is maybe the most pleasant surprise of the whole basketball season. Um, in, in season, I think Coloco came in with a big leap from last year. Balo, yeah. from the first game to today, it's not. It's not. You know, he wasn't this player even. You know, six weeks ago. Yeah. And it's I mean, and it's really promising for this team.
2: And you know what's crazy? The two of them, they shot a combined sixteen free throws in that game. They made twelve of them. Like it's, these are fantastic. two seven footers who, they're not the offensive. Like they're not the guys you necessarily throw the ball into and say go get a bucket and get fouled all the time. But they're going to get fouled. They're going to go to the line when they're on the floor if the offense is working and if they can make. Three quarters of their free throws, or in this case, two thirds of their free throws combined, coloco has been great from the line. Which I was talking—I remember talking to you on Saturday. I'm like that was one of my favorite things to watch. Is that we all remember him as a freshman, and that Oregon game, <laughs> where you know, like that guy could not shoot a free throw to save his life, and he's a good free throw shooter now. Not just that he's like okay, he's. Good. I would trust him at the line, needing a free throw or leading to. And um, that is a credit to his work ethic and desire to get better because a lot of big guys aren't the best free throwers. I know Caleb Tarzewski ended up being a good free throw shooter. And that's one of my favorite things because, yeah, he wasn't a guy who was going to take 10 a game. But if he had those guys who got four, five, six free throws, he was going to make five or six of them. And that is such an asset to have. And Arizona having two seven-footers who can be like this, two too if he's healthy, like that is such a luxury that no one else seems – I don't think anyone else has that.
1: I mean – those two guys shooting seventy ish percent even compared to like maybe more typical fifty percent for big guys on other teams. That's that's four or five points a game. That's a difference in a lot of in, in the win loss column in a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's hard to it's hard to overstate that.
2: So Arizona men's basketball, they got a few big games coming up. They got UCLA on Thursday. At least it's a six o'clock game. So it's that's a nice time to have a game for us olds. <laughs> Uh, Then they got USC on Saturday. That's an afternoon game. And then back on the court Monday against Arizona State at McHale North. We'll be at that game. So that'll be fun. Come say hi if you find us. I'm not going to tell you where our seats are. But, you know, if you can tell what we look like from listening
1: to us on the podcast, then, you know, say hi if you see us there at McHale North, right? Yeah. Plus, Adam's voice carries very well when he's not behind a microphone. So you could probably hear him anywhere in the stadium. Okay.
2: Yeah, it's going to be quiet. Uh, The women, of course, they had a big game against Stanford. The team that knocked them, I want to say knocked them out of the tournament last year, that beat them in the championship game. Um, It's, you know, Stanford's number two. They're great still. And Arizona competed at Maples Pavilion. They even had a chance. They got back late in the game. And they made some mistakes when they looked like they might have a chance to get, you know, to really make it interesting. It was 75-69. And, of course, that sets up a nice couple of home games. Oregon comes to town Friday for an eight o'clock tip It's so a little bit later, but it's a Friday, so it's okay. And of course, there's a little bit of a history, recent history with Oregon, and that should be fun.
1: Yeah, the I got to watch a decent amount of the Arizona Stanford game. It felt it felt, it, it felt a little bit like deja vu of the of the championship game last year, where Arizona just didn't have an answer for Cameron Brink, who looked just fantastic and you know a giant out there. Mm-hmm. Then she, then she's also out there hitting threes, and it's like, well. <laughs> all right, Stanford's just like, really good. That was good. fun. Cam- Cameron Brink is great. Like, if you're if you're you know, if your big is out there nailing threes, I think that was our first three of the season. It's like you're you're not going to win that game. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm actually pretty excited to watch this matchup with all of the. Uh, can you call it off the court drama if it really originated on the court? Yeah, between... like s-
2: sideline drama or something.
1: Yeah, where uh, for those of you who don't don't know that um, there was apparently some terse words uh between adia barnes and uh and oregon's head coach i'm blanking on his name at the moment um
2: jerky mcjerk face
1: i think that's right yeah um i didn't know he was irish (laughs) um, and and some of arizona's players kind of sticking up for adia barnes in ways that insinuated that he was maybe saying some things that were less than professional (laughs) um i'll be curious to see how arizona channels those emotions and hopefully takes it out on the Oregon basketball team that, that, you know, they, that beat Arizona in the, in that game. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that Tucson shows out and has a big crowd there for, you know, hopefully a fun time and a big Arizona win.
2: Yeah. A lot of big time games coming up in McHale center this week. And I'm excited to watch all of them. Hopefully the Wildcats win all of them. And of course, then they get ASU again next week, but Brett, let's take a break. And we come back. The actual college football signing day happened. Happy Price. Go to your Happy Price. Priceline. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0, and yes, we're going to get into Arizona's, I guess, their their February signing day with Matt Moreno of GoEasyCast.com. Matt, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me back. I always appreciate it.
2: Yeah, well, I think the last time we had you on, you previewed the TMAC thing and all that. I think that was the last time we had you on. And you're like, yeah, I think he's going to sign with Arizona. He did. And then a lot of people signed with Arizona around that time. Today, February 2nd, was quiet for the Wildcats. Like, Nothing happened, and I don't think that's much of a surprise or even a problem with most people. Is that a fair assessment?
0: No, I think today, and, and really the, one of the things that I was really most intrigued by was would Arizona continue to stay atop the Pac-12 rankings because obviously we knew that Oregon was one school that was going to try and make a run. They had kind of a backlog of commitments that were expected to happen, which did. Um, USC was in play with some guys, and uh, those are the two main ones, but those are the two that you're maybe most concerned about if you're Arizona in terms of trying to keep your spot atop the Pac-12 rankings. So. Um, things as they you know started to shake out, Oregon did definitely make some improvements and add some guys, but it was mostly guys that you know they had commitments from before, and you know the new staff was able to pull back in and, and get recommitments from. Uh, they added a, a flip from Georgia at Oregon, so they added some talent, but it just wasn't enough to to move Arizona from that top spot. So as it stands right now, there's still a couple high level guys that are out there that are uncommitted, but um, I was pretty confident that Arizona wasn't going to get knocked off of that top spot. Heading into signing day, and into this February signing day, and um, they they remain there. They're still the top you know, top dog in the Pac-12. Feels like, at least based on what I can see, I don't think it's going to change. I think they're going to end up as the number one team in the Pac-12 uh, for the 2022 recruiting cycle. Something that's never been done at Arizona, at least in terms of the rivals era, which started in 2002. The highest they've ever finished in the Pac-12 is number three. The highest they've ever finished overall is number 18. They reached number 18 on signing day and then you know somebody there's a couple commitments knocked them back down to number 19 but they still have a top 20 class still um you know their best recruiting class since 2006 one spot away from tying the all-time record for arizona of 18th overall so just uh as you're looking at it right now and you see it on paper i know that's only part of the story you have to see what it looks like on the field but this is uh one of the best recruiting classes that any of us have ever seen and could end up being you know the best recruiting class that Arizona's ever had. Coming off of a one in eleven season.
1: After a winless season before that as well, just like we all predicted. Top top class in the Pac-12. Um, Matt, so we didn't have any any big news necessarily in terms of new uh commits announced today on signing day. But maybe uh you could talk a little bit about Arizona got a couple of preferred walk-on commits uh that might contribute. Uh I'm gonna go with Jacob and not pronounce his last name, I'll let you take that attempt. <laughs> uh, you've learned usually well I, from me, Brett. You've learned. Usually, usually I just defer to Adam and let him <laughs> stumble over the pronunciations. Um, but, you know, he's a guy from Matter Day that some people think is, you know, worthy of, uh, of you know, even being an early contributor, which is hard on the D-line. Can you maybe talk about him and, and some of the other guys that have been added as preferred walk-ons of late?
0: Yeah, I mean, we can go with Jacob Rich. He's got two names, so we'll go with two names. We won't, well, none of us will try to pronounce that last name. We'll let him do that. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's, Rivals has him as a three star recruit. Um, he had an offer from UCLA early in the process, had a couple other FBS level offers, um, had some options kind of late. Eastern Washington was an option, UC Davis was an option. Um, but Arizona was able to convince him to come as a walk on. And to me, um, he feels like a Power Five level player. He's one of those guys that's very similar to me. Uh, to Dorian Singer last year where he had a Texas offer early on, had Iowa State early on as well, kind of waited out the process and, and those offers, as they do sometimes, dried up and, you know, those spots filled up at those schools and, um, you know, Texas uh, was going through a bit of a change and, and just didn't kind of line up for him. He's, uh, he, Dorian Singer's originally from Minnesota, moved out to Phoenix. Um, just kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit and, and waited out and kind of waited the process out too long, I think. and. Just kind of the options ran out and so Arizona was able to take advantage of that and have him come as a walk-on and then, you know he ends up getting a scholarship you know a few months later and, and turns out to be a really strong piece of the class uh potentially going to be a starter for the, for Arizona this year as a, as a receiver so um Jacob Rich to me is kind of in that same category talent is there everything is there I think he maybe just waited a little bit too long and thought you know maybe there's going to be some other schools that come on board Right now, it's really tough for high school players right now. I think that's the one thing that we're continuing to learn uh, with the transfer portal. It's really tough on high school players. It's even more tough on uh, junior college players. I mean, and Arizona's able to kind of add you know, one of those, uh, Joe Borjan, a uh, big you know, uh, offensive tackle um, from Mount Sac in California, which is one of the top junior colleges. Yona Yigalele, uh Arizona's old defensive line coach, is one of the coaches at that school. So um, there's a connection there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when you when you look at, you know, Jacob Rich and, and how he fits into things, I mean, he's to me, he feels like the Dorian Singer of this class where he's probably going to get on the field next season. Who knows how much that is, but he's kind of – he's got everything that you want. It, it's, just, it, it's just the way it worked out, and to get a guy like that to walk on as opposed to having to use a scholarship on him is huge. Um, I mean, I think that's a big deal. And then Jack Stam was uh, the other one who committed uh, on Tuesday, um, an in-state guy from Liberty High School in Peoria – uh, it feels like every kind of hard nose, scrappy, maybe a little bit smaller safety. Everyone likes to say, well, it's, it's the next Chuck Cecil or it's the next, you know, <laughs> no Jared Tevis, yeah. Jared Tevis or someone like that. Who's been really successful as a walk on and, you know, kind of fits that profile, but he really does. I mean, he plays really hard. He's really productive. Um, when you look at kind of his stats from last year, last couple years, he's kind of made strides every year and he kind of started out at a really high level, uh, had had over a hundred tackles, I think. Believe in each of the last three seasons uh, at Liberty, and so uh, finished up on his best season, was his most productive as a senior. So again, fits what you're looking for in terms of production. And you know, as I've kind of done this for a while, and and seen a lot of recruits kind of come and go, um, the one thing that I always come back to is production. That's the one thing that you know translates. I mean, if you look at someone like J.J. Taylor, um, and I think even Rich Rodriguez talked about this when J.J. signed. Uh, he said the production. I mean, you just look at the production. Yes, the size is the size. You, you can't get around that. But if you look at what he was able to do, and J.J. Taylor is one of the most productive players in California, I believe, earned you know the California State Player of the Year Award. Um, but he didn't have the typical size that you want at that position. Obviously, you want those guys to be bigger, to be a little bit more durable. But he never showed that he wasn't durable. I think it was just kind of college coaches going, oh, well he's too small. Um, but if you really looked at it, I mean, he was—he had, you know, the production. He played at a high level, um, in a very tough area in Southern California, and was one of the, part of one of the top teams and one of their best players. And so you look at some of these, you know, guys that come on as walk-ons, and if you look at the production, Jack Stam is someone who has that production. You go, that's something that can translate. So I think he has a chance to make some noise. Obviously, safety is one of those positions that was a little bit hit and miss. There was some success there, but I think looking from the outside, you say there could be some more talent at all at all those spots. The defense is going to change it a little bit you know, under Johnny Nansen, and, and there's going to be some different movement. Christian Young is going to be somebody who's going to be back to playing safety again. But um, I, I don't think he can ever go wrong with you know adding production, especially as a walk-on player.
2: And getting walk-ons like these who could contribute some maybe for special teams depth or even Jacob Rich as a retirement who could you know, start or get a lot of minutes, I say minutes, a lot of snaps as a freshman. Is it come down to the same thing for the guys like playing time? The opportunities there because some of these guys who could go somewhere else maybe get a scholarship. And, I mean, I, I don't think Arizona is anyone's safety school. Let's get that out of the way, right? But, you know, they could go to Arizona and it's like they have a chance to play and earn that scholarship. Do you see a Dorian Singer say, hey, I could be that? Or is it just a matter of like, hey, they love the program and just want to be a part of it? Do you have any sense of why they're choosing to walk on at Arizona?
0: I think the Power 5 aspect of it, I think, it's just the draw of playing at the highest level. And any way you can do that is, you know, that they'll take it. Um, I think for you know, some guys, it comes down to can my family afford to pay for school for a year until I can you know try and get on scholarship because um you know it's it, there used to be the rules that you had to wait a couple of years to get the scholarship that's changed and now you can get those scholarships a little bit earlier, so it makes it a little bit easier. You don't have to wait as long because that was a more difficult decision. you know, six, seven years ago, when you had to wait a couple of years to get a scholarship if you walked on because you know they didn't want the cheating going on, they didn't want to essentially have, you know, schools do what kind of is happening right now and you go hey we're going to get you a scholarship eventually once we can fit you into the class but that was kind of going on anyways and so I think that uh you know that adjustment allowed teams to kind of have some flexibility and you know allowed players like this to have a chance to you know go to school and say I'm going to see how this works out for a year um obviously the transfer portal exists and that's kind of a different element of this thing if it doesn't work out you can maybe go to a smaller level and you know kind of start over and and go where maybe you had a chance to go early on out of high school but i think uh, for a lot of these players it comes back to just the level of football they just want an opportunity and i think arizona seeing how they've approached you know walk-on players and how many have earned scholarships i think there is that feeling of hey if we go to this program there's going to be a real chance it's not just talk it's there's a real opportunity you know for me as a player to go there and, and earn a scholarship you know sooner rather than later and so um i think they see that opportunity and and For a lot of these players, they kind of already have a chip on their shoulder because they're a walk-on for a reason in a lot of sense. And um, you know, for some guys, for most guys, it's their size, and they're just not the typical size that you want at the power five level. And so they kind of already have a chip on their shoulder a little bit. And so um, I I think they just see the opportunity, and they just want that chance to you know play at the power five level. And you know, nothing against Eastern Washington or UC Davis, but if you have the opportunity to play at either one, yes, scholarship is nice, but if you're talking about playing football and you want to play at the highest level, you'd go with Arizona almost every time in that situation.
2: And historically, Arizona's been competing with those schools for scholarship players. So to get them as walk-ons, <laughs> too, it's like to supplement the class you have. You mentioned it, though. The transfer portal is out there, and Arizona's added a lot of transfers. And I've seen some of the people, like the naysayers, people are like, oh, yeah, it's a great recruiting class. Watch them all transfer. They've been on campus for a little while. Now they've been working with the strength coach and everything. There's been some media availability with a lot of the newcomers. What's the sense of like their commitment to Arizona and this process? Because not all of them are going to be able to play a lot year one. Not all of them are getting on the field a lot in year two, probably. But is there any way to know early on, like these guys are committed to this process, to this program, and everything that they believed in to sign?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think a a lot of it for you know the the high school kids is, is just been you know they want to be part of this change. I think they they see that you know they're they want to be kind of the ground floor of hey this we were the reason this happened and this turnaround happened and so far. They have been. I mean, again, we're talking about a recruiting class that we like we've never talked about before. I mean, it's you're talking about them being the top team in the Pac-12 in terms of recruiting. We just never had those conversations before about this team. And so um, they are kind of inciting change and and bringing about change. And I think that's a big part of it. But there is also the chance for playing time. So that's when we'll really get to see how committed they are, how how much they really, truly do love Arizona. And that's the case for every team and, you know, every every year. But uh, now more so than ever, just because the transfer portal allows them, if things don't work out in here, I can just leave. I think the one thing that we're noticing, um, especially with Arizona's players that are in the portal right now, not a lot of desire to get those guys out of the portal from other schools. I mean, you look at the list, not, not power, there's no power five schools on that list for the guys that have found homes uh, that have left Arizona. You know, a lot of group of five schools, some guys are just not going to find a home. I mean, unfortunately for them, it's just, there's just not a lot of options there's way too many players in the portal and there's just not as many spots because what you're doing as we see right now with national signing day the early signing period you're just bringing in more players yeah and so it's it's not like there's less players and there's going to be a ton of available spots you're just competing against more guys so um you know i think again we saw it last year it's happened it's played out again that that same way this year is guys jumping the portal think oh i went to arizona i'm going to have a shot to go to kind of any other school i want um and it's just not happening and so um you know, I think some guys are learning about that the hard way. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really changed things. And so I think we'll see kind of where these guys' commitment really is to what they want to do in the future once the playing time starts to, to happen or not happen, and we'll see what their patience level is. But um, I think for right now the, the mindset feels like it's right, and I think they're, they kind of picked Arizona for the right reasons. And the reality is this is the first, you know, recruiting class for this coaching staff, whether you like it or not they're going to tend to try and get their own guys on the field. That's just kind of how it works out. Maybe they don't do it on purpose. Maybe they do. Who knows? And not even specific to Arizona, but you go around the country and any new coaching staff, typically what happens is the guys they recruited tend to get on the field pretty early. And so I think there is always that thought with a lot of these players that, Hey, this last class, yes, they were put together a little bit by this previous staff. This is the first jet fish class. And so I think they feel like I'm going to probably get on the field sooner rather than later. And I think we'll see again when, when, you know, the rubber meets the road and if they really get that opportunity or if they don't, what they feel. But I think right now, you know, in, in early February, they feel like I'm going to have that chance to play pretty early on.
1: So, Matt, we've talked with, like, the number one Pac-12 recruiting class incoming, the transfer portal, even some of these pretty high-end uh, preferred walk-on types, and then the, the returning talent. I You know, I think on paper there's a consensus that Arizona's talent level has been significantly upgraded Um, maybe more rateably than anybody can, can recall going from a, you know, team that's won one game in two years to who knows what they can do. Uh, We're about a month out from the start of, of spring, spring football. Uh, when, when that kicks off, what are the things you're looking for to get a sense of this team and, and what are your expectations for it?
0: Um, I think for me, it's obviously there's a lot of different levels to it. I think obviously you want to kind of see what Johnny Nansen brings to the table, how different and how similar it looks to what Don Brown was doing. Because, I mean, it didn't take a very trained eye to see what they were doing last year was working. It was making progress. Maybe it wasn't the type of progress that Arizona fans want to see, but they were getting better and they made improvements and they were making strides and didn't lead to wins. but. You know, some of that had to do with the other side of the ball as well. And so that's kind of the other thing that I'm you know, going to really be paying attention to and looking close to that is the offense, because Arizona's really revamped its offense. They posted a picture. Uh, they kind of spread out and, and had kind of some team time, some team position group time uh, ahead of uh, the signing period. And there are some different photos floating around of the different position groups. And you look at the receiver group and I said, there's not a single hole in that group I mean everybody can play play. yeah everybody can play and it's not even everybody can play everybody can really go I mean there's a lot of talent in that room and you see it all together in one picture and you go that's a lot of guys to get on the field for one but who do you say you can't play I mean all those guys it's going to be really difficult because all those guys can contribute all those guys have a certain level of experience Um, not the younger guys but those guys have the talent that maybe the other guys don't have so it's a really nice blend, but you look at that group and I said, man, that is a lot of talent for a receiver room. And that's not even including, you know, some of the tight ends and a guy like Keen Burnett and the running backs who, you know, Rayshon Luke is going to be coming in. So you just look at all the skill positions and it's just a wealth of talent. And I'm really interested to see how that all comes together, because you know, when we last talked to Jed Fish at the end of the season, he was unhappy about them not scoring points. That That's a reflection of him. And I think he said, I want that to change. Let's go figure out how we can get that to change. And he just went out and got a bunch of talent. And so we'll see what it looks like. But uh, that was really what stood out to me.
2: It certainly seems like there's an embarrassment of riches in the receiver room, in the running back room, like the skill positions offensively. In the quarterback room, it has Jaden Delore, who comes in, who is the presumed starter as of right now, I would think. He's in town for spring ball. He's got experience, Pac-12 freshman of the year. Then you have Will Plummer, who got better down the stretch of last season. Jordan McLeod, who looked like he might have been the starting quarterback until he got hurt. Gunnar Cruz is still... T- there got feed up. None of the skill position works if the quarterback play isn't improved. We know that. I imagine there's a strong belief that quarterback will not be an issue in 2022.
0: Yeah, I mean, at, th- at this point, I think you know the the feeling is that it's going to be Jaden Delora until somebody comes and takes that spot. Um Health is going to be a big part of this because, as, as Jed Fish said, if they had to start spring ball right now, they'd probably only have a few guys. Jordan McCloud is not necessarily 100. Gunner Cruz is still working back from from his injury and. You know, Will Plummer was a little bit banged up, but I think he'd be available. But, um, you know, you'd essentially have, you know, Will Plummer, Noah Fafita, Jaden DeLore competing if you started spring ball today. So um, we'll see what happens. I think you'll note more of the story in training camp. But I think Jaden DeLore getting on campus now is is the biggest thing because, um, you know, we saw what happened and kind of the growing pains that the quarterbacks who were on campus in the spring last year had to go through. And even Jordan McLeod. And there is always that talk of, you know, once he came into the game and, and you saw, OK, he can do some things. The, the thought was, well, why wasn't he even part of the discussion to be a starter at the beginning of the season? But for people who were there at every practice and, and I was there at every practice and, and training camp, there was a clear gap. He really made up a lot of ground in a short amount of time because close to the season, he wasn't the player he was, you know, when he was having success in games. And some of those, you know, some players are gamers and they just they don't practice as well as they play in games. They like the lights. And uh, Khalil Tate is someone who, who kind of comes to mind in that sense, where didn't always have the best practice habits. Uh, didn't always have the best rep about, you know, about him in in terms of being a practice player, but everyone saw what he could do when the lights came on. So, um, you know, Jordan McLeod, I think is, is definitely going to, it feels like going to be a factor still in some way, but to me, it's, it's Jane Delores job. I think we talked about it before and I mentioned it, you know, elsewhere as well, but I still think Noah Fafita somehow factors into this equation somehow, whether it's just getting him a package or two or getting him on the field in just certain capacity, um, I I just think he's going to factor into this thing somehow. I think he he has the talent. um, I think he has the drive and he also has the connection to your five-star wide receiver. And so I I think you can't look past that as well. And so I think, you know, it's not necessarily to just keep him happy, but I think it's also just to get him involved because I think the feeling is that one day, you know, he is going to be the starting quarterback for this team. And as we saw last year, sometimes that could be a lot sooner than you expect when there's injuries start to pile, pile up and some things go one way or the other. So um, I do think, you know, regardless of what happens, I do think Noah Fofita is going to have a chance to at least see the field a little bit. You obviously have four games that you can play him, and, and he can keep that red shirt if that's the way they want to go. But um, I think him being here in the spring as well is going to be a big deal, and, and uh, you know, getting him acclimated with, with the system. I do think they're going to maybe have to try some different things with him, as i talked about before. Um, you know, move the pocket around a little bit, put him in the best position for success. But I, I still, there's still something about... This situation that I feel like he's going to get an opportunity to, to get on the field as a freshman a little bit. I don't know that he's going to ever you know be the starter, or be the guy that pushes for that job. I do think he does enough to kind of challenge, but I think he, he's going to make it interesting and at least get an opportunity to see the field in some capacity you know this season.
1: You know, as fun as ex- and as exciting as it is to talk about the embarrassment of riches at some of these groups, you know, going into spring, there's probably some position groups that we all know has a little bit more question marks. Um, could you maybe talk about a couple of those and maybe some guys you're looking at in those position groups that can maybe help answer some of those questions?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line is the biggest one. Um, it's Arizona's not going to make great strides in terms of wins and losses until there's improved play from the offensive line. Yes, there's a ton of talent at the skill positions offensively. And we know that and everyone's going to get excited about that because those are the guys catching the passes and you know scoring, scoring touchdowns, but this team isn't going to make Big strides until the offensive line plays better. Um, didn't really add too too much, but I think the bright spot has been, and the word has been, you know, out of these early workouts, is that Jonah Savaiinea has been really good about, you know, going through the workouts. Maybe showed up in a lot better shape than people anticipated. He's a big guy already, but um, you know, he was out at the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, there was some clips about you know what he was able, what he was doing out there, and then obviously during the game, you got to look at him and. Um, you know the, the buzz out of you know, the early workouts is that he's on a different level than what people are anticipating, maybe even Arizona's coaches. And so it feels like he's going to have an opportunity to step in and potentially contribute right away. I think across the board, Grayson Stovall is another guy who came in as a, as a freshman, is getting there early, maybe not on the same level as someone like Jonah, but he's going to add some depth there. But I think it's going to be you know really interesting to see kind of how they all come together. Uh, Joe Borjan, I mentioned, is a 6'8". He's going to be the tallest offensive lineman. Um, they ended up, you know, bringing him in as bringing him in as a walk on instead of a scholarship guy to kind of free up a scholarship. And so you know that's another positive as well. Uh, somebody with a little bit more experience, um, you know, Jack Buford uh, coming from New Mexico, kind of a, an interesting story, uh, was a highly rated, highly recruited guy uh, out of high school, went to Missouri, never really got an opportunity to play there and then transferred to, Mex- to New Mexico. And now is at Arizona. It's going to have to sit out. So that'll be the, the issues it'll take some time but eventually I think he'll get on the field and be able to make an impact um, but yeah I mean I think the offensive line is going to be where it's really interesting you know you have to figure out is it going to be JT han or Josh Baker at center uh, that's going to be such a key position and you know you, you had Josh McCauley kind of holding down that spot for so long and he was kind of the iron man of the team was kind of just there every game played through a lot of injuries and um, became such a, a a stable force you know in the middle of the offensive line and uh, you know, brought stability to those quarterbacks when there are so many different changes behind him and kind of kept things moving forward. So, obviously, Jaden DeLore is going to have to figure out, you know, which, which, assuming it's going to be him starting at quarterback, is going to be, the which guy is that, do I work best with? And and so I think there's going to be a nice competition at center, and we'll kind of see how everything shakes out. But, um, yeah, that's definitely the spot that, you know, I think is the biggest question mark on this team right now is what do they do, you know, out front? Because um, didn't necessarily add a ton in the portal. Maybe that's where your other scholarship goes at this point. Feels like that's probably where they're leaning, but we've continued to say that, you know, all off season and haven't necessarily had that big offensive lineman that I think everybody said, okay, they need to go get this star offensive lineman. It's been really difficult. A lot of teams really need those guys right now, so it's been difficult to find those types of players. But as we've seen, every day, every couple days, there's more guys in the portal, uh, more guys that you didn't think were going to be there, you know, last week that are there this week. So I think they'll be, they'll, they'll find someone to fill that spot. I think it's probably going to go to an offensive lineman at this point. Um, but we'll see kind of what happens. But that's definitely the, the area of the team that I think uh, needs some improvement.
2: We're talking to Matt Moreno, GoEasyCats.com, senior editor. their are Rivals.com site. And you mentioned they do have that one scholarship open. I'm curious if now that signing day, like the signing period has, I guess for lack of a better phrasing, come and gone. Jed Fish's first full class, is there anything we can glean from his strategy? Because it was like, in this case, assign sign a lot of guys early, get a lot of them on campus, which is, of course, I think every coach's dream. But is that kind of the new reality we can expect and the way Jed Fish wants to do things and maybe save a scholarship or two for the transfer portal about this time of year? Or is there much we can glean from just this first go-around for Jed Fish and his staff?
0: Yeah, I thought it was going to be, honestly, kind of seeing how he worked, you know, at the, the end of the last cycle, I thought it was going to be a lot of portal just – moving forward in the future is going to be kind of half portal, half high school. But, you know, as things kind of start to develop, he mentioned, you know, I still look at the high schools. I still want to get those players. And obviously, to have a successful program, you build it, you know, through developing players and having some continuity. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things on, on the basketball side. You know, that's kind of was the the uh, criticism of Sean Miller was that you, when you really got going recruiting-wise, it was you're, you're replacing the entire team almost every offseason. It's just difficult to sustain success like that. Um, it's hard to have, you know, consistent winners like that. And so, you know, football, it's kind of the same where you want to have, you know, uh, some stability and have some players that have been around to understand your system. I think especially offensively uh, with how, you know, uh, complex Jet Fish's system is offensively. You need some players who understand what they're doing. And I think what we saw a lot last season, um, I think there was a clear talent disparity between Arizona and most of the teams they played. But I think a lot of it also offensively was, it's a difficult system to pick up. And I think we saw kind of the growing pains of that in the first year. I think you expect them now to make some more strides. You have a lot more players who have been, you know, within the system, understand the concepts a little bit more. Um, So I think that's going to be, you know, part of it as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely very interesting to kind of see all play out.
1: So Matt, thanks again for joining us. Um, Really appreciate your time Uh, as we're kind of maybe putting a bow on this and, and looking at the end of the off season, we head into spring, spring football. You know, if, if if football coaches were measured by off-seasons, Jed Fish would be undefeated, but unfortunately it's not. Uh, you know, Jed Fish 2-0 in the off-season. Talk some sense to me as an Arizona fan. I've got all of this unbridled excitement, and I have to remind myself that this team has won one game in two years. Will we start to see uh, these off-season victories start to show up in in-season uh, victories in the fall?
0: I think so. I think the one that kind of put it over the top for me, outside of T-Mac, I think I, think I came on here and, and talked to you, and, and even before, after he committed, I said, still keep an eye on and I still think that door is open, and so there was always a hint that he was going to end up at Arizona if, if things kind of fell into place, and of course they did, but to me, Jaden Delora, I mean, you're getting the guy who had the most touchdown passes in the Pac-12 this last season, I believe he had the most uh, passing yards during the regular season, he might have finished number one also, you know, in the entire season, even after the bowl games and everything, but um, either way, one of the top, you know, playmakers at quarterback in the league. Um, I, to me, that puts it over the top. I think you need you needed to have someone like that. That was the one position that where it was a real glaring weakness last year. I, it held them back a lot. They just and obviously, like I said, I think a lot of that had to deal with, you know, just the, the complexity of the system and trying to learn things and, and trying to get used to things. I think it'll be a lot better, even if you had to revert back to. You know, Will Plummer or or Jordan McLeod or any of those guys, Gunner Cruz, I think they would be more success just because you have a year in the system now. But I think adding someone like Jaden DeLore, I think that really does make a difference. Um, I think especially defensively up front, they made a lot of improvements. There's a lot of talent up front. That's kind of, to me, I look at that position and go, that's probably the most comfortable any of the coaches can be is it's, you know, Ricky Hunley and and what he has up front defensively. Um, You get Jalen Harris to come back. Yes, you lost some key pieces, but those are kind of fill-in pieces of Mo Diallo, uh, Lavelle Tatum. You know, those are guys that you knew were only going to stick around for so long. And, um, you know, Trayvon Macy you knew he was at the end of his career. Those are definitely some big pieces to lose up front. But you add Sterling Lane, um, you know, you add Tia Savela from UCLA, played a lot as a true freshman, was very highly recruited, highly rated as a high school player, still very young, but, uh, you know, very talented. And so... Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot to work with up front. And I think that's where, you know, Arizona is going to continue to make some strides. Obviously we have to see kind of what happens with Johnny Nansen in this new system. But I I think to me, the one, if you go, who put you over the top, probably Jacob Cowley, I think is another one that, that helped you get over the top. One of the top receivers in the country last year, you pair him with the T-Mac. You you can't key in on either one of those guys. I mean, if you had just had T-Mac, you know what teams are going to do. They're just going to try and eliminate the freshman. Um, now that you have to kind of pick your poison, as we talked about that photo with all the, uh, all the receivers, you're not going to, you have to defend everybody because everybody can play. Um And so I think that's going to open some things up, but I think the quarterback to me makes the difference. And so I do think there's going to be some progress. I still don't think it's a bowl team at this point, Um but I, I think it's definitely the days of a one loss team feel like they're very much behind Arizona at this point um, to, you know, everyone's joy as Arizona fans, but um, yeah, I think there's going to be some some progress this year. I, I'd be really surprised if there isn't. I think it's going to look a lot better. Um, I think the wins are going to take some time, but I think this team is is starting to become very dangerous. And as you see them, you know, you know, a couple years down the line, I think they're going to be very, very good. And and you're going to be talking about, you know, if this can continue, especially if they can follow this this recruiting class up with another one that's either just as strong or you know around that same area. You're talking about a team that's going to be very good. I think in a few years.
2: You know, it's funny, and I think this is just where Arizona football is. You just wanted this whole thing about how Arizona's so much improved quarterback, receiver. And you're like, they're going to be so much better, and they're not going to win six games. <laughs> like, that's what. That's <laughs> but you don't you don't usually go from you know zero to sixty that quickly, right? And like Brett's mentioned a couple of times, they won a game last season, one game where basically the last two seasons. So, the idea to go from one win to six or seven doesn't seem feasible. And yet, yeah, there's probably a lot of people right now who are thinking. Yeah, but they've had a lot of talent and a proven quarterback, and there's veterans on the defensive side of the ball with a lot of the transfers they brought in. Like, why can't they be that much better? But, of course, it wouldn't be fair to expect that, right? <laughs> like,
0: no, I mean, there's there's a lot of young players. And the other thing, too, is there is something to be said for getting too good too quick. We saw that happen in the Fiesta Bowl year where their teams got really good, and then all of a sudden it was like, hey, what happened? And then you have this expectation of, oh, no, you're just going to go to Fiesta Bowls now, and that's just not the reality. And so um, I think... I think this is going at the pace Jed Fish wants it. Yes, he wouldn't have wanted one win last year. I think he would have wanted a few more. But I think he's okay with it taking some time. When he met with the media the other day, he mentioned that, that this is going to take probably a couple more years to get right. And so, uh, obviously, fans want everything to happen kind of, you know, overnight and, and hope to see, you know, go from one win to ten wins and competing for the Pac-12. But I think it's just going to – I think it's going as it should. I think the, the groundwork has been laid um you have a lot of talent but it's also very young talent and that's that's kind of the big issue the the transfer portal helped you in a way because again you got the quarterback you got you know the big time receiver who can make some plays that helps you kind of move things along a little bit quicker but the real growth is going to come from this freshman class and there's a lot of talent there but again it's inexperienced youth you got to have some experience there and and get some games under their belt and then you'll see what they can do but um i think there's going to be progress and right now that's that's positive and so uh I do like the direction, but I think it's it's gonna take a little bit of time for sure. Yeah, well, there
2: we go. Matt Moreno, goazycats.com. You can film at Matt GoAzyCats on Twitter. He's a senior editor, of Rivals Network, Yahoo Network, all that good stuff. Matt, we appreciate your time here on Wildcat Radio two
0: Yeah, absolutely. Always glad to be here.
2: And we come back, we'll wrap this all in a nice little bow. Welcome back, Wildcat Radio two Thanks again to Matt Moreno of goazycats.com for giving us that insight into Arizona's recruiting and You know, not much had changed since the early signing day for Arizona. They did add some more transfers. They did add some of the preferred walk-ons. But just looking at it all together, Brett, like you can't help but smile at everything that's happened with this recruiting cycle.
1: Yeah, almost everything that could go Arizona's way seems to have done so with, you know, taking advantage of coaching changes, uh, being able to flip the right kind of guys. um, Certain schools maybe. Uh, self-immolating and imploding—it's um, all worked out really well. Recru- you know, your strategy of going after uh, No. Fafita and the Cerbite guys—you know—that that kind of started a lot of dominoes falling. It's—it's it's a fun time to be an Arizona fan, which is a weird thing to say when you have won one game in two years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly more like Arizona did add—they got their first commitment of the 2023 class, Canyon Moses, uh, defensive back who tried to recreate the famous Chuck Cecil photo on the bench and. You know, a three-star, a high three-star type of guy, depending on where you're looking at for the rating systems, and obviously he's not going to be the only recruit in this class. This isn't ASU or anything where you have a one-person recruiting <coughs> class, but it's the start. And I remember, I think was it was it Grayson Stovall was the first commit of last year's class, mm-hmm. and yep. he was a solid commit. And you're like, okay, not a bad start, and we see where that went. Like, hopefully, Canyon Moses is the start of another great class. It's going to be hard to top the 2022 class, but. You start somewhere, and looking forward to having this defensive back in
1: Arizona colors. Yeah, Ken- Canyon Moses, kind of consensus high three-star commit, five-star consensus name, five. I was gonna say, yeah, you beat me to my joke, Adam. Oh, five-star name at least. <laughs> um, but he's also a guy that you know a couple of years ago, you know, two four seven has it has him as a top five hundred nationally type guy. A few years ago, that you didn't have That would have been the highest-rated guy in your class. You know, in in the in the twenty twenty-two class, he's like. He's a great ad, and if nothing else, he's a great start to, uh, to to the next class to see how Arizona can build on the success this year. Uh, and you know, high three stars from Texas. I mean, I'll sign, sign me up. There's, there, you know, we'll see how how things go between now and 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 hopefully he signs in the in the fall signing period, the early signing period, but. You know, things can always always change, but as of now, it's just more good news for Jed Fish in Arizona.
2: Yeah, it seems like the best thing Arizona football can do now is just win games. And, I, yeah, you know, no no, no kidding. But, <laughs> but I'll take. they've done everything else, right? And for recruiting, it's a lot easier to sell. And like Matt was saying, it's a lot easier to sell playing time right now. You know, come to Arizona. You're going to play. You can be a part of the turnaround. You can be a part of this program starting to win games. But once you can prove it, once you are winning games, I imagine it's like, okay, you can come here. You can play and you'll win. And that's what Jed Fish has to prove. And he has to prove it to, like, even his offense. There's people who wonder, can he coach? Can he run a good offense? We didn't see it last season. and But then you say, oh, well, the talent wasn't there it looks like the talent shouldn't be as much of an issue in 2022. Now there's still a lot to happen. We're recording this on February 2nd. You know, spring ball doesn't start until March 4th. Then you have fall camp and then you have the game starting in September. So there's still a long ways to go, but certainly everything that you could have hoped to have happened for Arizona football since the end of last season, since they lost to ASU in the territorial cup until now has been very, very good for the Wildcats. Conversely,
1: not so good for the sun devil since that day. <laughs> you mean the uh, uh, sleeper cell activation and uh, <laughs> and execution complete? <laughs> Like, was 70-7 to 7 the battle, and
2: now Arizona's going to win the war? What, like, for those who don't know, and I don't imagine there's any of you listening who don't know this, they've lost now both of their coordinators. Zach Hill resigned, the offensive coordinator. Antonio Pierce, the defensive coordinator, has since resigned. They end up losing a few more of their coaches, the ones that were suspended last year for the recruiting issues, the alleged recruiting issues, which seem to be more and more likely to have happened. Or There's something there. There's There's a lot of smoke, and I'm pretty sure we see some embers, we see some flames. It is... Not great times for the Arizona State football program, and I know I'm heartbroken
1: about it. Yeah, I, you know, which number is higher as of today on National Signing Day, Adam? The number of ASU commitments or number of resigned or fired coaching staff for their ASU football program? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and, you know... It's all allegedly, but it's also, it's not just smoke. There seems to be, yeah, if the reports are to be believed, there is video and photographic evidence of them starting the fire, uh, and maybe fires, plural. Um, you know, I'm not one for, particularly for Schoed Freud, or particularly caring about ASU when they're not playing Arizona, but for all the guff that Arizona fans have had to take from from shall we say not fully informed asu fans over arizona basketball allegations it's 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 a little bit uh, delicious to hear them not understand why the sean miller arizona basketball situation is different um nor uh, do they seem to grasp that this can linger a lot longer in football than it does in basketball because football is all about depth and multiple years and you know that's just back-to-back years of Non-existent, crappy classes, and there's no real end in sight. And you still have Herm Edwards shuffling around in the you know now, empty coaching room right now. now.
2: Uh, yeah, and it, it's it's
1: it's not it's not as fun as it is to be an Arizona fan, and it it's less so for Arizona State fans right now, especially when you've decided that you don't want any Arizona three-star commits.
2: Well, one thing I have noticed is I think most ASU fans have entered the final stage of grief, like they acceptance. They're starting. They've understood. Like, oh, this is this is bad, and you know what? Part of Arizona's success recruiting-wise has to do with what's happening at ASU. Like, There's a good chance some of these players that they flipped, some of these USC guys might have been ASU targets, might have been ASU-bound, had not been for the dumpster fire that is the Sun Devil football program. So, you know, credit to Arizona for being able to take advantage of that. I think we'd be a misincentive because ASU had recruiting well maybe there's there's illegitimate reasons for that as we're finding out but they had been recruiting very well the last few years now they're not and Arizona's kind of filled that void left behind for some of these California players who maybe were going to Tempe now they're going to Tucson but Arizona had to be ready for that so yes it's it's fun to kind of kick them while they're down a little bit especially after like you said what Arizona fans went through since 2017 with the basketball program but the football program for Arizona is taking advantage so it's less, it was even less about, hey, <laughs> ASU, and more like, all right, thanks, ASU, for this gift you've given to Arizona.
1: Yeah, it, to, to my point, I, I'm less focused on what's happened to ASU and more focused on what Arizona can be doing, and Arizona has capitalized on every situation that has created an opportunity. The door's cracked open on a number of players, and Jed Fish and, and his staff have, have pounced on those opportunities and pushed that door open and, and got a lot of talent in the doors that wouldn't have been there otherwise. And now you're looking ahead at you know, with some real positive momentum. If you're even an in-state kid, you're probably looking at Arizona even more so than you were six months ago. California, there's a big pipeline with uh, you know this class in 2022 coming in. It's hard. It's hard to not get excited, Adam. No. Seventy to, seventy to seven will be. Uh, It'll be it'll be fun when they're still trying to fight to put up a billboard for a game that happened four years ago while their team is in the doldrums and Arizona is beating them. But they'll say about seventy to seven. That'll be fun.
2: Yeah, well, and I, I remember tweeting with an ASU fan uh, earlier on Wednesday, and I'm like, for what it's worth, honestly, like I don't celebrate. It. Like I think we talked, and I've said it before, leaving the Territorial Cup in Tempe, the last one. I'm like, Arizona's going to win the next one. Like, the Cup yeah. is coming back to Tucson in 2022. That seems more likely now than it did even at that time. But until Arizona beats ASU again on the football field, they still have, I guess, the last laugh, right? Like, we can enjoy what's happening now, but it really gets settled on the field. And hopefully, I mean, geez, like, whatever whatever ASU shows up, whoever the coaches, whoever's left from that roster, when they go down to Tucson to finish the season um, in 2022, hopefully Arizona beats them. It'd be nice to beat them bad. It would kind of like the year when Willie Tuitama, when Arizona went to the Vegas Bowl, like Arizona hadn't won in like three or four years, and it has been some really rough, close ones or injuries and all that. And I think they have been about like 20 or something like that. I'm mean, like, you know what? That was satisfying. Should Arizona have a similar type of victory in 2022? It's going to feel the same way. Like, I'm, I'm sure of it.
1: Yeah, I, I, I had a somewhat similar, I think, uh, interaction on the Twitter machine. And I, I just kind of posited that, sure, ASU's won the last five territorial cups, but which program is more excited about the next five Territorial Cups? And I think we know the answer to that. And it makes me happy. <laughs> yes.
2: Yes, me too. Well, but would also make us both happy, of course, is Arizona basketball teams, men and women, uh, win their games this weekend. And then, of course, next week. I don't think we're going to record until after the ASU game on Monday because just who has time? you know? So we'll, hopefully we're talking about three more men's wins and Arizona, of course, women's beating – Uh, Oregon, especially on Friday. That would be an intense game, and looking forward to watching that win. I'm expecting, like a lot of people, I think, a really packed McHale Center for that game. Of course, the spring sports are starting up now. We've got baseball and softball in the near future, so we'll get into a lot of that, too. We'll bring on some guests who can help share some insight into those programs. Uh, Make sure you're subscribing to us on iTunes and Spotify. If you're on iTunes, leave us a review, leave us a rating. If you leave us a review, we will read it on the air for you. Otherwise, you can follow us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. And, yeah, we'll catch you next week. Until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.